See, God has a way of spreading the gospel. And sometimes, as in the book of Acts, for the Jews who were in Israel, we know that the gospel was spread through persecution when it became so dangerous for Jewish believers to remain in their homeland, they dispersed throughout the then known world, the Roman Empire, and it helped to spread the gospel. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round, and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So if you haven't done it already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I titled this based off of verse 16 where... Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so I titled this Unashamed. In verses 8 through 13, we find Paul's desire. I'm going to read it for the context. Verses 8 through 13 of Romans 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged altogether with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. We find that Paul will speak a bit about his Jewish brethren, but this is a very Gentile believer forward book as we read through it. He'll talk about the Jews, and we'll get into that immediately next week as we get into verse 18, but also especially in chapter 2 as we get into the first main division of this letter. But he's writing primarily to the Gentiles. He understood his place that I am apostle to the Gentiles. But there's another thing that I read in one of the commentators last week, I believe it was, that was talking about, and we'll mention it here as we continue on. I'll have a little specifics as what was going on at that time. 
as the church came into Rome, and we don't know how that took place. We don't know who first presented the gospel, but I, there is a theory, and I'll present that. But as the church came to Rome and people started to believe in Jesus Christ, that there was contention in Rome because of the Christians, it's believed. And there was a point to where the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And so what is believed by the commentator that I was reading, what is believed that the church was first founded among the Jews, it spread to the Gentiles, the Jews got kicked out of Rome, so suddenly the Jewish believers had left Rome, the ones who had founded the church, no doubt the leaders of the church, suddenly the Gentile Christians were left alone. They had to pick the leadership and and continue on the work in the church. So Paul now writing to the Gentiles to encourage them in their faith as they had lost a, a large segment of their church. We discover that there was a turmoil, but it's also perhaps why in verse one, he said that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So God has a way of spreading the gospel. Sometimes as in the book of Acts for the Jews who were in Israel, we know that the gospel was spread through persecution when it became so dangerous for Jewish believers to remain in their homeland. They dispersed throughout the then known world, the Roman Empire, and it helped to spread the gospel through persecution. Now in Rome, it appears perhaps persecution, but the command from the emperor that all Jews depart he was just fed up with the argument among the Jews and the argument believed to be between Jewish believers and Jews who did not believe in the Messiah, that they were, there was this infighting among the Jews. And as he kicked out the Jewish believers, well, their faith perhaps became known throughout the whole world, which simply would mean the Roman Empire of the world that they knew of that day. We do know from Acts 2, verse 10, that on the day of Pentecost, it tells us that there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So we know on the day that Peter and the apostles stood up and the Holy Spirit came upon the church, that Peter preached and about 3,000 people were saved. Among the congregation that day, those who were hearing the gospel being proclaimed, were visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. That means Greeks who had converted to Judaism. And so it's believed that they became believers and eventually they went back to Rome. And it was the Jewish historian, Suetonius, who had wrote, since the Jews constantly make disturbances at the instigation of Christus, he, meaning Claudius, expelled them from Rome. And we know this event historically took place in AD 49, and that all Jews were expelled from Rome. And we find it actually in the book of Acts. In Acts 18:2, Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, and in parentheses, Luke writes, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome and Paul came to them. And so Paul developed a relationship 
with Aquila and Priscilla. They just happened to all be tent makers. They ministered um, the gospel of Jesus Christ together. They made tents together. But no doubt Paul learned of the Roman believers from Aquila and Priscilla. And perhaps he was exposed to the ministry there in Rome because of Aquila and Priscilla telling them, giving them testimony. But not only does he have this, he says, first of all, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all because of their faith. He's praying for them. Verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Like Paul, there are a lot of people who have used God as their witness. Have you ever heard anybody say that? God is my witness. Or maybe they'll say, lightning strike me down if I'm lying. Usually, I would say 90% of the time, if God was to testify in their behalf, I would say they're guilty. They're not speaking truth. But when someone uses that phrase, they're usually trying to prove their innocence. But God, if he was to testify in their behalf, most likely it would result in their condemnation. But Paul uses this phrase to assure the Roman believers of his sincerity toward them. His great desire to visit Rome, it was on his bucket list. One of the things I want to do before the Lord calls me home. And thus he constantly, consistently prayed in unceasing prayer toward them in hopes that he would come to them. He not only prayed for the believers in Rome, but we find in the epistles that he had an unceasing prayer toward those who were of, uh, of the epistles. I looked through the ones where he mentioned his constant prayer to the believers. He said it to the Ephesians, those in Philippi, those in Colossae, those in Thessalonica, and also to his friend Philemon. Paul had a pretty large prayer list, praying for the churches that he had founded, but also for the churches that, uh, like Rome, he didn't found this church. He wasn't the apostle who first brought the gospel there, but he prayed for them. It reminded me, and this is something for me as a pastor, the importance of a minister and his prayer life, praying for his congregation and those whom God lays upon his heart. In 1 Samuel 12, 3, Samuel is rejected by Israel as being a judge over the nation. They cried out, put a king over us. And Samuel, as their leader for 40 years, he felt rejected. And God would say to Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But even though Samuel would go on and say, the Lord's going to give you a king, a king of your own liking, which is their first king, King Saul. Samuel declared to the people, 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Even though Samuel felt rejected by the people, he told the very same people who had rejected not Samuel, but his sons. And Samuel's sons were not good boys. And that was kind of helping bring this all up. 
But Samuel said, I will not stop praying for you and also teaching you. And the importance of a, a pastor's prayer life. But can I extend that to us all, that we can all have a prayer list of people that we are praying for. Paul did finally make it to Rome. As I said, not in the way that he planned, but he made it there. But he was praying for them well before he ever went there. He had this deep longing, verses 11 through 13. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you, of the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Paul's desire was to see Rome, but not, I, I had a, I think it was a pastor who said, you know, one of the places I want to visit is Rome. I want to see Rome. He want, And he talked about the great architecture there, the, the Colosseum and all the things. I don't think Paul really was too concerned about the Rome and its glory. Paul was concerned about the believers who were there and the believers. His purpose, he said, was fourfold. He wanted first to impart spiritual gifts to them. He also wanted to help establish them. And that's what Paul desired to do in person, not to Skype. He couldn't Skype with them or do a phone call that they could see each other face to face. But he could write a letter and this letter helping to establish them. But he wanted to do it up close and personal as well. First Thessalonians 3, 2 and 3, to establish you and encourage you concerning the faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. We are to be established that when things come against us, it doesn't shake our faith. And we know that in this world, many things can come against us. But also his third thing he wanted to do was to have a joint encouragement or comfort in their mutual faith. He didn't want to just come to encourage them, but he wanted to be encouraged by the work that God was doing through their lives as well encouraging one another, as we see in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, that it is God who comforts, and I love this, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. I love that as we come to encourage someone, that it's reciprocal. I can bring comfort to someone, but someone can also return and, and bring comfort to me. The comfort that I receive from the Lord, I can give to someone else. And then they can receive the comfort, perhaps, that they received from me through the Lord. And one day, bring that same thing back. And I know I've said this before, but it's never been more clear than when one of our brothers here, and it was just me and him on the church grounds that day, and he was here, and he was in the foyer, and he was looking out the window, and he was troubled, and I knew what was going on in his life. And I came up behind him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I encouraged him in the word of God. And it wasn't but maybe a year or so later that that same brother caught me looking out the same window with a troubled heart. And he came and did the same thing that I had done to him. Said the same words. He comforted me with the comfort that I had given to him. That mutually our faith, we can build up one another. And finally, that he might have fruit. His desire was that he would have fruit, just as Jesus said in John 15, 16. He has chosen us that we should bear fruit and that our fruit should remain. So with a thankful heart, with unceasing prayers, Paul longed to minister in Rome. Paul's faith, verses 14 through 17 as we close out this morning. He says, I am a debtor to both Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise, to the unwise. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul's faith, first of all, he says, I am a debtor. It simply means to be indebted to something, someone. Vines described it as having an obligation. He was under an obligation. I am a debtor. His obligation was to preach the gospel. It didn't matter if it was in Rome. It didn't matter if it was to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, or to the unwise. His debt was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was his commission also. We find that he was commissioned by God. In Acts 9.15, the Lord said to Ananias concerning Paul, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. And so Paul knew his place. He knew his commission. He was indebted to the Lord for it. It was also his mission. As the Lord said in Acts 22, 21 to Paul, he said, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Paul had a mission from the Lord to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he called himself an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul felt indebted to God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And then he, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for of necessity it is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. To Paul, it wasn't a choice. He knew what the Lord had called him to do, and he knew he had to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul had a great debt to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he also had a great faith where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not ashamed. The Lord Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, that he called us all to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And as believers, we are to be about the business of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you that Today, there are a number of people who do not want to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But that does not take away 
the necessity of our call or the indebtedness of our call. We are to proclaim the gospel. I read that to you earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, where Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. And then he went on to say that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave, according to the scriptures. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he understood that the gospel is the power of God. It speaks that it's that same word when Jesus said that I will send the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. Dunamis in the Greek, uh, we get the word dynamite from that. It means power, might, and strength. Abbot Smith refers to it as power in action. Paul knew that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. For the Jew first, acknowledging that the work of Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies concerning him to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And it's from faith to faith. Here's an interesting thing. The word faith is found in the Bible, translated in the New King James 245 times. 243 of these times, it's in the New Testament, only twice in the Old Testament. And that's interesting to me. In the Old Testament, we find in Deuteronomy 32.20, the faith is used to speak about those who do not believe. Where God says, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no faith. But the second time it's used in the Old Testament, it's actually repeated three times in the New Testament, and we just read it in verse 17. It comes from Habakkuk 2.4, where God contrasts the proud and the just, and then says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's repeated three times in the New Testament here, in Romans 1.17, and again in Galatians 3.11, and then also in Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith. He said it's faith to faith. And here's the two views of what Paul meant by the words faith unto faith. Some believe that this speaks about God's faithfulness toward humanity, allowing salvation to come through the work of Jesus Christ, that through our faith, we are able to become part of the family of God. So faith, first faith speaks of God's faithfulness. The second faith speaks of our faith toward God. The other thought is this, and it might be more correct, from faith to faith. It takes faith to become a believer in Jesus Christ that we, and I'm not saying that God is not faithful toward humanity, he is, but we are saved through faith but we live through faith. So we first come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith. But every day after that, until we see our Lord face to face, it takes faith. We walk in faith. The just shall live by faith. Some have said that the just, it speaks about that we are justified just as though we have never sinned. We shall live. It speaks about the way that we live. 
because Jesus lives, then we walk in faith. And it's by faith. Just as we came to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus becomes our life breath. We continue in that faith until we see our Lord face to face. Paul felt indebted to unashamedly proclaim his faith in Jesus Christ to others. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that there will be great blessings as we make our way through the epistle of Romans this year. Father, I pray that those blessings would begin this very day as we think about the things that we have read, perhaps heard through the preaching of your word. But Father, I just pray most importantly that you'd be a work of your Holy Spirit prodding our hearts. Lord, that we would become the people that you would have us to be. People, Lord, who are not conforming to this world, and we see a segment of the church today conforming to the world today. But Lord, that we would be a people willing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.